Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. Uh, well, if you weren't here at the very beginning, which half of you weren't, uh, my name is my name is Caleb, and I'm keeping score. And I'm reporting back to Blake, and he told me to um, mark that down. So. Um, I'm the minister at University of Tulsa with RUF. Um, I just finished my fifth year and looking forward to a couple months of sitting by the pool um, and reading books and refreshing my soul, um, doing a little bit with students, but for the most part, uh, finding some rest. And so I ask you to pray for me, um, that we would find that, that we'd be restored as we are about to have a baby and because uh, we're crazy and we wanted more, more chaos in our home. We're having a son uh, named Brooks, and he's uh, joining us here in a couple months. And, uh, and then two weeks later, we'll start the semester. So between now and then, the pressure's on. I got to get some rest. <laughs> All right. Today, we're talking about the Spirit, and today, in particular, we're talking about how the Spirit changes us. And so the question I want to pose for us on the front end is, how do Christians grow What does it look like? How does it happen? The expression that Keller, Tim Keller said that that really changed the way that a lot of us uh, preach and a lot of us uh, learn and what we all think about the gospel, he says that Jesus accepts uh, accepts us as we are, but by his grace, through the work of his Holy Spirit, he does not leave us as we are. And so today we're talking about that second part. He does not leave us as we are. He changes us. We grow. It's one of the facts of Christianity, that that we believe that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that we are being formed more and more into a person of love. And that happens at different speeds, and it looks differently, but the Spirit does change us. And so the question for us is, is the Holy Spirit at work in your life changing you? And if so, how? I don't know if you're like me, but I like to go down rabbit trails on YouTube, and um, they have a lot of really niche videos and communities, and there's a really powerful algorithm behind everything, um, which which suggests videos for you and invites you to waste a lot of of your life on it. And a few years ago, I stumbled upon this YouTube channel called The Boring Channel, um, which I don't know what that says about me and my life, um, but uh, it says something because YouTube knew that I wanted to watch this. And this Boring Channel, it's it's a man who is a mower with a really compassionate heart, and he finds these abandoned houses with lawns that are overrun. And he finds houses who, with owners where they're not able to care for their lawn. And for free, he brings all of his equipment and he sets up shop and he makes it look beautiful. You know, he gets there and the grass is like two feet high and there, there are weeds everywhere. The bushes are a mess. And he'll set up a camera and the camera will go, as he re- replays it, it'll go, you know, on faster speed. Um, And he's sitting there and he mows and he's bagging the grass and pulling the weeds and cutting down the limbs. And it's amazing. And you might think, if you're normal, that this is the weirdest thing in the world. Because it is. Why would anybody want to watch this? But I'm here to tell you that those videos have over 2 million views. Every one. People sit at home 
and they watched this boring channel of this man going and mowing grass. And the titles of, of the videos are hilarious. Uh, one of them, because it, it's hilarious because it's real. Um, one of them is Satisfying Lawn Stripes, um, which you should watch it. If you've had a hard day, and you know this as you've mowed your own lawn, there's like, man, I haven't done a stinking thing all day. I'm going to go mow my lawn, and then I'm going to look at the satisfying lawn stripes. I did something today. Um, yes, amen. Another video is Eyesore Lawn Turned Into the Best on the Block. What a great man, this guy. Um, all right, so how does the Holy Spirit work? I want you to think about the Boring Channel when you think about that. Because I think the Holy Spirit's work is cleaning up the mess, so to speak. Um, that means that we are, yes, this is where I'm going, uh, we are the overgrown, unattended to yard. And the Spirit works in our life by pulling out the weeds and making us beautiful. So that we can be a people of love for our, for our families, for our neighborhood, for our church, for our office. He comes into the mess and he, and he makes it clean. And it's free, and it's a gift. It's grace. This passage teaches that the Spirit's work in the Christian's life is twofold. And it's very explicit from the text. It says the Spirit convicts us and the Spirit guides us to the glory of Christ. The Spirit-filled life looks like a man or a woman who is often convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, which I'll explain what that means here in a bit. And the, spirit, and, and the spirit-filled life for a man or woman is one who over time sees Christ as more and more beautiful and better and, and, and more and more true and more and more good. And this comes right from verse 8. He will, when he comes, he'll do two things. When he'll come, and he does many things. There's two from this text. When he comes, he will convict the world. That's the first point. And when he comes from verse 13, he will guide us into all truth who is Jesus. That's the second point. He'll guide us. The first point's a bit longer, the second point's nice and short. He will convict us. Uh, Maggie and I have been going through this, um, for a while now, uh, uh, this mentorship program, this discipleship program called Sonship. And um, every, every month we meet with a mentor and work through material. And a few months ago, the session was on the Christian's need for a growing awareness of our sins so that we can have a growing adoration for Christ. And I was tracking with the speaker, and I'm like, yes, I know, this is amazing, I need it, that's true. But then the speaker went on and he said, but here's the problem, um, we don't want that. We don't want a growing awareness of our sin. We are unable to give an honest appraisal of ourselves. And so then he ended and said, so here's your homework. Ask your spouse this, what's it like to live with me? And what would you change about me? And so I quit the program and I've never been back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I asked her that one time and I made a silent vow to never ask again. Um, and he has us do that because it shows us something. Um, that we, we can't convict ourselves. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. In fact, you're always right. 
I remember a mentor of mine several years ago said, Caleb, you need to get in the practice of telling yourself 10 times a day, I might be wrong here. And so how do you know the spirits at work? What's it look like? Well, first, you know the spirits at work when you become convicted of sin, when you become convicted of righteousness and judgment, when you're noticing the weeds are being pulled out of your life. And if that's you this morning, take heart. It's not fun, but take heart. God's at work in your life. You know, the first two verses of the Bible says this, and it gives a wonderful frame, framework for the work of the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, what? Let there be light. And there was light. And really, if you, if you just take that, that, those two verses, you understand how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament and how the Spirit works Today, the Spirit takes the words of God, let there be light, for example, and he brings it to bear, and he applies it to what is dark and dead, formless and void. And because the Spirit has tremendous power, he brings what is dark and dead, and and he brings it to life. He brings the word of God to bear, and he applies it and he brings what is dead to life. Take, for example, Ezekiel 37. The spirit, the breath of God comes to the dead and dry bones, and he brings the bones to life. Let them walk. The spirit, as we read earlier in these different languages, descends in Acts 2 upon the hearts of men and women, and he brought them to life. He regenerated them. And the spirit continues to do that. He comes to the hardened cold, distant, dead places of your own heart where sin dwells and he brings the word of God to bear. In the application of the spirit, he applies this this redemptive work of Christ, Christ and he brings conviction. And that's the very way that we are then renewed and made beautiful and find life. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't, the helper won't come. But if I go, which he did, so this was a prophecy, and both of these things that he prophesied about came true. Last week, we looked at Ascension Sunday. If I go, or when I go, he did go, um, I will give as a gift the helper, which he did give, which was Acts 2 Pentecost. These things were literally historically fulfilled and still being fulfilled. And when he comes, Jesus says, this is what he's going to do. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let's work through these one by one. Um, And it's important to say on the front end that when Jesus says he'll convict the world, most likely he's referring to the Pharisees. And so there's always, as you read your New Testament, there's always direct application that was something specific going on in that time and place. But there's always application for us today. Because the Pharisees, they had a wrong idea of sin. They thought Jesus was a sinner. They had a wrong idea of righteousness, so that's the biggest bone that Jesus had to pick with them. And they had a wrong idea of judgment. They judged Christ. And ultimately, as, he see, as we'll see, judgment was not as they thought. So this was directly applied to the Pharisees. He was speaking about them as the world. But there's also application for us. So let's work through it concerning sin because they do not believe in me. 
And I think it's important to notice right out of the gate what Jesus does not say concerning sin because they do not obey me. That's not what he says. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What Jesus has to say here is that every immoral act, every transgression of the law, every um, act of disobedience is fundamentally and and first and foremost, it's a matter of unbelief. Um, There's a really great biblical reference that gives some backing to this um, found in your Old Testament and the book of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah, through the Spirit, through the word of the Lord, he's bringing to bear and apply to the people of Israel. Right at the beginning, he's confronting Israel with what was their issue. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, he says this, that my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then second, they've dug out cisterns for themselves, and these cisterns are broken, and they do not fill you. They hold no water. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. That every sin is really two sins. And it's first and foremost the denial of the good gift which Jesus has given us. It's unbelief. And then it's paving your own way and digging your own cistern. And we know those cisterns don't last. So for example, those harsh words to your spouse or your children your unwillingness to listen to a colleague is actually first and foremost a rejection. It's a disbelief in the good way. It's an unbelief in the king and his kingdom. It's denying the way of the cross. It's denying a way of suffering. It's denying the way of humility and gentleness and lowliness of heart. It's denying the freedom we have to not be heard. It's not needing to get your voice. It's denying the freedom of not needing to get your voice out there so quickly and powerfully. It's unbelief. And then it's digging your own ditch and saying the words and acting the way. Sin is always a matter of unbelief. It's denial of the good thing, which is always provided by faith can be, and, and by faith can be received. I think of 1 Corinthians 13. It says, no temptations overcome you that's not common to man, but God is faithful and he will always provide a way out. Do you believe the way out? Or would you rather dig your own ditch? And there could be thousands of examples of this, but this is what the Spirit does. He brings the word of God to bear on our lives, exposes the dark And by his grace, he brings conviction and repair and renewal. Second, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. What does that mean? Um, What Jesus is saying is that the Spirit will now convict the world concerning righteousness because I no longer will. Because I'm going to go to my Father and that's where I'll be. In other words, he's saying, while on earth and in my ministry, it was my job to convict the world concerning righteousness. And now... It's the Spirit's job. And it was his job. As I alluded to, the main people that Jesus had beef with were who? It was the Pharisees. Why? It's because they had a wrong understanding of righteousness. Um, Righteousness for the Pharisee was something that they earned and kept. And righteousness was all external. 
Um, it was their diet, it was their prayer life, it was their dress, their Sabbath. It was all these external identifiers that showed the world how upright and moral they, they, they were. They were self-righteous. Literally, what that means is that they had a righteousness that came from themselves. That was their main desire, to be seen in good, uh, by the people in this good standing and to be accepted by God in their strict observance of the law. And their desire to do that actually made them transgressors of the law because they did not love God and they did not love their neighbor. They actually killed God and they oppressed their neighbor. And so Jesus, time and time again, he rebukes them. It was his job, it was his ministry concerning righteousness. Um, we see this most maybe vividly and, and pointedly in, in Matthew chapter 23. And I want to read a couple verses from this. You can go read the whole thing. The whole thing is just one big rebuke of the Pharisaical heart in all of us. It's not just, oh, those people. It's us. Listen to what he says to them. You tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Yet you're unwilling to move a single finger to help them. You do all your deeds to be seen by others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Woe to you, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, for you clean the outside of your cup, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. And he ends this rebuke saying, so you are outwardly appearing righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you. It was his job to convict the world concerning righteousness, and now the Spirit does that because Friends, that's not just a first century Jewish problem. That's our problem as well. So I would say this is precisely how in our day and age, the world and the devil pull our flesh, encourage our flesh, structure our flesh, our hearts and our minds to live. And so the spirit pulls out these nasty weeds in this overgrown heart through conviction, we have a wrong understanding of righteousness. I'm coming to believe um, that the most freeing thing in the world is when you don't have to be right. When nothing about your righteousness is on the line. Um, I don't know if over the last week you've read many reflections of, on the life of Tim Keller, but I've been reading over several of them, and I, I think my own personal reflection, and one of the things I've read, particularly from non-believing friends of his and, and observers of his, is just the willingness that Tim Keller had to listen to people that he disagreed with, with a gentle posture. It seemed like he was actually self-forgetful, just like my favorite book of his, because it's 20 pages long. He was actually freed from himself. It seemed he was free from being right and dying on every hill. Because you know what? I think what he did is he modeled for us that Christians are only to be right about one thing, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. 
and everything else in your life that makes you feel right, that makes you feel better than, that makes you feel pure and holy and valuable and worthy. It's all vapor and it's all momentary. It's deceitful. It's living for a righteousness that's apart from Christ and it is a slave master who will drag you to your knees and will not fulfill you. And our society shapes us to look to our diet, to our looks, to our social views, our parenting method, our school choices, our career promotion, what our friends or family think about us, and even our religious convictions to give us a sense of value and worth and righteousness. All the while, just like the Pharisees, we neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness to our neighbors and to our God. So the Holy Spirit helps us lay down all that we cling too tightly to through convicting us of righteousness. And lastly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Um, As I've thought about this, and I've thought about it quite a bit, and read about it, I think what stops conviction from turning to repentance is shame and condemnation, right? So hang with me. Conviction in and of itself, I, I, uh, several months ago, gosh, I was just so dead, finding no joy in, in the gospel, and I was telling my mentor this, and, and he just said, man, Caleb, you, are, you have so much conviction and so little repentance. And he was right. Conviction in and of itself is utterly useless, Um, It has to lead to repentance and faith in Jesus. But oftentimes, conviction leads to condemnation and shame. And therefore, not only does growth not happen, but I think that weeds in the yard get bigger. So let me explain what I mean and where I think this text leads us and how it frees us by playing out the scenario that I mentioned earlier. So I did ask my question that wife, uh, I did ask my my wife that question. because I, I had to, um, and it was a really good exercise. Um, and my wife says, you know, the hardest thing about you is that you're extremely independent, that you kind of keep to yourself, you stay in your own lane. I, I have a hard time knowing what's going on with you. You take on too much, you think you can do everything, and all the while you kind of you neglect me. And she was right. Now, If my righteousness was on the line, if my righteousness came from what my wife thought of me, and don't get me wrong, oftentimes it does. But in that moment, if it came from what my wife thought of me, then I would immediately go to shame and defensiveness. I would respond with something like, oh, as if you're not independent. Or I know, I know, I'm the worst person ever. And we do that, you do that, I bet. Um, Because what she would say, if if my righteousness belonged in what she thought of me and she said something negatively about me, I can't receive it, I've gotta push it away. It's just too crushing. And so I'll go into shame mode or I'll get defensive. And what I think is that we're actually enabled to hear what's wrong with us and let it Let the conviction of the Holy Spirit actually lead us to repentance in life when we're guided into what is true. And one of the things that is true is that condemnation is not ours. And this is the second point of the sermon. 
Um, and it's kind of like part 1C follow-up. So hang with me. The Spirit guides us, all right? I'm going to get back to this. The Spirit guides us. I wasn't quite sure how to organize this, but we're getting there. Verse 13. The Spirit of truth comes. When, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it over you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. So back to my example. What is true? In Christ, here's what's true. Two things. My righteousness is not on the line. The Spirit, by grace, has taken what is Christ and has declared it to me. He's announced it as true to me. He's proclaimed it over me. He's guided me into the truth. Who is Christ? That's what's true. The judgment, the, the words of, of conviction are not judgment because judgment, it says... The ruler of this world is judged. The judgment of our sin has already been dealt with. It has no longer any power over me. The evil one now stands condemned. The condemnation and judgment is not ours. It's been eliminated. You know, the biggest blow that the devil has over you has been absorbed on the cross by Christ in our place out of his great love for us. And so cheer up, as Jack Miller would say. You're far worse than you think you are. But that's not what's most true about you. You're more loved and secure than you could ever imagine. What's true of me as the Spirit guides me into all truth who is Christ, is that I am secure in his righteousness. It's been declared over me. My sin has been condemned, and Christ's righteousness by faith has been received. And so my conviction can actually lead me to repentance because it no longer has the weight over me to condemn me and to shame me. It actually now has the power to heal me and to make me beautiful and to free me. And so am I saying that we are not good people? Yes. And you can only receive that. You can actually only believe that. You can, the only way that you are not scared of that sentence is if you're secure in the righteousness of Christ. And that is precisely how we change. You know, we say the lingo, faith and repentance, faith and repentance all the time. This is it. This is the Spirit working repentance and actually receiving the conviction. And you can only receive the, the conviction and it can only lead to repentance if you have faith in what is yours in Christ. And that's how we change. The Spirit's job is to help us see Jesus and to see him more beautifully. The truth of Christ is intended, it's not just this theological concept that we attend to cognitively, but we bring it and we receive it and it bears on our heart and it, as it applies to us, we change. Um, my kids and I, we watch a lot of um, NFL football during the fall. 
Um, and during the season, there was a commercial. If you watch the NFL, uh, maybe you'll, you'll recognize this commercial. There's a commercial by GMC. Uh, my, my son will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, where people are driving in their trucks, and the anthem of We Will Rock You, We Will Rock You is going on. And so the people in their trucks, if you've seen this, are doing this like, you know, the beginning of the, the drum solo from the beginning, two paths clap, okay? So every, everyone, uh, as they're driving this truck, are doing, 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 we will, okay, you get my point. So um, some, at some point in the fall, we're at a stoplight, and my sons both start doing this. I'm like, what are y'all doing back there? And they said, Dad, it's a GMC truck, just pulled up. <laughs> Advertising works. Uh, Chris knows this, as, as do any of you other uh, marketing folks out there. Advertisements, they shape what we want. Whenever my kids are in the market for a truck, I almost promise you, subconsciously, they're going to want a GMC because they've padded along to their commercial for years and they're like, I don't know why I love GMC, but I want to go that place. Because advertising works. Um, over time, what we see, over and over, what we see, it actually begins to bear on us, and it changes what we want, and it changes how we act. And advertisers know something that, that God has created in us. The Spirit, the, the very way that the Spirit changes what we want and how we act is by changing what we see. Turning our attention to Christ, helping us see more clearly his love and actually believe it, by guiding us into all truth. You know, earlier, just a chapter earlier in verse 15, it says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. It was his primary job. Uh, Dane Orland, he says in his book, I think it's called Growth, Growth? He says this, the spirit changes us by making Christ wonderful to us. The third person of the Trinity does his work in the individual by spotlighting the second person of the Trinity. The Spirit is the effectual cause of your growth, but Christ is the object to contemplate in your growth. Over and over, we change what we see, and what we see changes what we desire, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe is good, what we believe is true, and what we believe is beautiful. It changes how we act. Over time, the Spirit gives us a new desire, a new heart to see Christ and to see him more clearly. I think that's a different approach, and I think that's the approach that Jesus teaches here in John 16. How we change is not by better obedience or a stricter discipline. How we change is by receiving conviction of sin and looking to Christ, seeing him more clearly, and over, turn, or over time, that changes actually how we live and how we love and who we are and whose we are. And we begin to believe it. And this really is the example that Christ set for us. You know, Christ was convicted. He was convicted wrongly. But he received the conviction. And he went to the cross. Why was he able to receive the conviction? because he rested so deeply in the love of the Father that was his. 
And this is our example, and this is how we change. We rest securely. We receive the conviction of the Spirit because we can rest secure in what is ours in Christ, what he has won and earned for us. This is good news. Let us pray.